All right, so if you've been tracking with us, we're in the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 5. We're going to wrap up chapter 5 today. And then we'll move on to chapter 6 and, and so on. And I have no clue how long we're going to be in John, but we're not in a hurry. We got the whole Bible to preach, the whole Bible to learn. So let's just stay steady. Let's keep going and let's just see what God does. I've enjoyed the series tremendously. I've enjoyed preaching it, but I've also enjoyed studying it in detail. Uh, what's really cool at my house is my wife has taken a couple of ladies through the book of John. And so our coffee morning conversations have been a lot about John and the little things that we learned, maybe some historical facts and things like that. So we drink coffee and we talk trash about John. <clears throat> so today I want to talk to you about witnessing to others. I want to talk to you about witnessing to others. Let me explain something that can sometimes be taken for granted. What is, what is the church? What is the pastor's role? What is my job? What is your job? What are your tasks? What is my task? What's my responsibility? What's your responsibility? Well, according to scripture, my responsibility is to equip you to do the work of the ministry, which means that your responsibility is do the work of the ministry. So for years, we've gotten it backwards. The, the preacher had to go to, to the hospitals. The, the preacher had to go to the, to the homes and pray for people. The preacher had to pray for the donkey that was about to die. The preacher had to do all the things, and then preachers would burn out because we got it backwards. The pastor's job is to equip the saints to go into the world where only they can go and reach the people that only they can reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's called witnessing. In fact, that's one of the main reasons Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come is so that you would get the power to be a witness. So today I want to talk to you about that. And I want to show you Jesus' definition of a greater witness. And so the title of my message today is A Greater Witness. Go with me to John chapter 5, starting in verse 31. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking. He says, if I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you send investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I... I I have no need of human witnesses, but I say these things that you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. Pay attention to what Jesus just said. You were excited for a while about his message. Like people were excited about John the Baptist for a while. How many of you know we get excited about things for a while, but only for a while? That's why car companies keep changing the body styles and adding all the, the intricate details to make your vehicle more complex. Is because you were only in love with it for a while. That's why churches have been tempted to become attractional because folks have only been in, interested in Jesus for a while. <laughs> I 
I want you to see something in this message before I get into the real part of the message. Jesus is doing something right here. He's, he's confirming John the Baptist as one of his witnesses. I don't know if you know this, but Jesus actually had five witnesses. He had himself, which was never good enough in the Jewish culture. If you, if you witnessed for yourself and you were the only witness unto yourself, it was, it was considered not, not legit or, or non-valid because you needed, they believed you needed more than one witness for anything. So Jesus was a witness to himself. John the Baptist was a witness to Jesus. His teachings were a witness unto him. His miracles were a witness to him. And God the Father was a witness to him. But not everybody got that. Not everybody understood that. Not everybody realized that Jesus had all these witnesses. So Jesus is taking a moment to honor John the Baptist for being one of his witnesses. In fact, Jesus says he was one of the best. Like John did it, and he did it absolutely true. Everything he said was true about me. And it's been proven. Jesus was grateful for John. So much so that he honors John in Scripture that even thousands of years later, we're sitting here learning how Jesus felt about John. But Jesus said in verse 34, I have no need of human witnesses. I don't have to have human witnesses. But he had some. You see, today there's become an extreme discontentment towards Jesus and his church. I heard a new study by Barna that there's even less people now coming to church on a regular basis than there were even two years ago. The numbers have continued to drop of families that have made going to church to experience Jesus in one shape, way, way, shape, or form less of an importance for their family unit. When the other statistics say that if the daddy will lead spiritually, it'll dynamically change the whole family. Like generationally. But the enemy's blinded us, and we've fallen in love with the world so much that we've become discontented with Jesus, even in a personal way, but also with his bride, the church. So we'll sign up for things that we don't need to sign up for to take the place of the one who can only the one who can help us. The one who should be honored and should be feared and the one who should be held in high esteem should be the most important person in our lives. And we'll, we'll, we'll sign up for everything else but him. What happened to the day you met Jesus and he was the greatest thing in your life? What happened to that? What faded? How did you lose your first love? How did you lose the one who gave you life? The one who brought you from spiritual death into spiritual life? How did you lose that passion for him? 
That's a question that has to be answered today. You have to answer that question now. What happened? Good, solid Christianity and good church services are not value today. What used to be exciting is now hardly even getting attention. And believers today have become, I'm going to say it with a smile on my face so it'll land a little bit easier, lethargic. Think about this. The most powerful people on the planet, the ones who when they gave their life to Christ, the Holy Spirit came to live inside of them. The ones who went further and were baptized in the Holy Spirit and received power from on high. Those folks who are the most powerful on the planet have succumbed to the powers of the planet. And we don't say anything. We don't do anything. We're better at giving prescriptions for headaches than laying on of hands. Well, girl, if you take that, that, anyway, it'd make you feel better. What about Jesus? Doesn't Jesus make us feel better? What's changed? What's needed now? The church has to wake up in this hour. In this hour, the church has to wake up. Look at me. Eunice needs a church to wake up now. Not later, but now. Those people in your life need to hear about Jesus now. They need to experience Jesus now. The church has to quit procrastinating. And thinking that tomorrow's just another day, and there's another opportunity, and there's another opportunity. Jesus is going to show up any moment. So write this down. The unbeliever will never be interested in what we've grown disinterested in. You heard me? The unbeliever will never be interested in what we've grown disinterested in. The thing you're not excited about, you can't expect them to get excited about. So there's a greater witness. Watch what Jesus says in verse 36. But I have a greater witness than John. Wait, what? But I have a greater witness than John the Baptist. He just honored John. He just talked about how true John's witness was. John's written in scripture. And he says, but I have some, I have a witness that's greater than John." It got my attention. Hopefully it's getting your attention today. You mean there's a greater witness than John the Baptist? Absolutely. Look at what Jesus says. But I have a greater witness than John. My teachings and my miracles. Let's let that simmer for a minute. My teachings and my miracles 
or a greater witness than John. He says in the next breath after honoring John for being one of the greatest witnesses ever. The rest of the verse says, the Father gave me these works to accomplish, here it is, and they prove, say prove, that he sent me. How can we expect people to believe in a power that we're afraid to express? So, so before I get into the two great witnesses, let me show you something real quick. Jesus is saying that the Father gave him some works to accomplish, right? So what he said at the end of that verse, the Father gave me these works to accomplish. So the Father was telling Jesus what to do. And for all of you that like to be told what to do, Jesus is telling us what to do. Here's the problem with society. Here's the problem with our world. The church quit doing what it was told to do. And as long as the church quits doing what God tells them to do, the world only gets darker and darker and darker. Do you know a city on the planet can go into revival and become a beacon of light? to the rest of the world? I mean, Jesus came from Bethlehem. Revival can come from Eunice. Did you hear me? There's something about a little town that Jesus likes. He'll bring revival from the most insecure places, the most, the most not thought about places ever, the place with the great crime rate and all these other things. What good comes out of Eunice? Revival can come out of Eunice. Miracles can come out of Eunice. And this is when it's going to happen. The minute all of us in this room decide to start doing what God tells us to do. Because Jesus is the perfect example. He said, I, 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 Jesus. I might need to pray in tongues for a minute. Jesus said this, the Father gave me works to, watch the word, accomplish. The Father gave me works to accomplish. This is what's interesting about the works that we're called to accomplish. You see, Jesus tells me to do things pretty regularly, uh, especially when I listen well. And one of the best ways to honor the boss is to go to the boss and ask him what he needs before he has to come and find you and tell you what you need. Oh, did you hear that? Did, did y'all hear that on this side? Because I don't think that side heard that. It's the, the greatest way to honor the boss is to go to the boss, knock on his office, say, hey, boss, you got anything for me to do today? Instead of waiting for him to run around the yard trying to find you, I've come to understand this. This is my experience. I'll share it with you. 
when Jesus gives me works to accomplish, there's a pressure that comes with it, a pressure to get it done. This is what I've come to, to, to learn over the years is that the minute Jesus gives me a task, the enemy comes with an excuse. When, when Jesus gives me a purpose or a, 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 a duty or a, a something to labor in or something to go and say or give or do, the minute he does that, I'm telling you, the enemy comes right away with an excuse to get me not to. Why would he come that quickly and why would he be paying attention to what Jesus is telling me to do? Because the work accomplished accomplishes the work. The minute I get something from Jesus, there's this pressure to get it done. I've learned from experience, the longer I wait, the more I succumb to the excuses. Pastor Bubba taught me years ago by example, the minute somebody drops in your mind, text, call, or find them and encourage them. If you wait two minutes, you might take the excuse that you're being given. So there's this pressure to accomplish the work that Jesus gives me to do. Now watch this. What I've learned is that when he gives me something to do, He's also holding a blessing, but he never releases the blessing before the accomplishment of the work. Example, Jesus said, I want you to give X amount of dollars to legacy to make room in this church for more people. Okay, Cheryl and I prayed. He gave us a number, said, I want you to give this. We instantly got under pressure. Our finances instantly came under attack because the enemy was trying to stop what Jesus was doing. So we had to fight through it, sow the seed, and when we sowed the seed, the blessing came. So when Jesus gives me a task, this is what I've come to learn, he's holding a blessing. But he won't give the blessing before the task is accomplished. Jesus is not your little league coach. Not everybody gets a trophy. You heard? So today, there are many tasks that are yet to be accomplished. And Jesus is asking this question, which one of you is ready to start accomplishing some tasks? Because if the Father gave him tasks to accomplish that proves who he is, then Jesus is giving us tasks to do to prove who he is. Now, he gives us tasks in hopes that we obey, not that we'll be made right with him, but we should obey because we've already been made right with him. So I'm not saying you need to do the task to be right. I'm saying do the task because you're already right. Come on. It's like your heart is so filled with gratitude and thanksgiving that Jesus can ask anything and you'll gladly do it. There's got to be a shift inside of you that says it's not a chore. It's a blessing to be used by God. Lord, shift that in us today. I get to, not I have to. 
or change my attitude. So here's the greater witnesses. Number one is the scriptures. When Jesus says my teachings, he's talking about the scriptures. Verse 39 of John chapter 5 and 40, he says this. Watch what he says about the scriptures. And he's talking to the Jews. And he tells them, you search the scriptures because you think they, the scriptures, give you eternal life. But the scriptures... Point to me. Jesus wants you in the scriptures because the scriptures point to him. Look at what else he says. Yet you refuse to come to me and receive this life. I know people who are in love with knowledge. They like to be seen and heard as knowledgeable. I was discipled in a group that prided itself in scripture memory. And at one time I had 75 verses I could give you word perfectly from beginning to end with the scripture reference and everything. And I got prideful in that because the scriptures only stayed here. They never got here. Jesus said you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But listen to me. They point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me. Ah, how many of you refuse to go to Jesus when you're hurting? How many of you refuse to go to Jesus when you're sick? How many of you refuse to go to Jesus when you're depressed? So because we refuse to go to Jesus, now we got to come up with all these other Ponzi schemes to get you to feel better. The scriptures are not a task to accomplish. They're the literal words of life that point us to Jesus. Here's what's funny about my relationship with Jesus. I learned about Jesus from the scriptures for several years, and then he kind of like said, okay, now you need to go out in the world and experience me. You need to learn me in the everyday. So the Holy Ghost wasn't good with me just knowing scripture. He pointed my life so that I would discover Jesus in the everyday. But you see, as a pastor, i got to be careful with this because you don't like to read your Bible either. You see, Jesus was speaking, speaking to people that read their scriptures all the time. I'm speaking to people that probably hardly ever read the scriptures. Did that hurt? So how do we, how do we flip the switch? Because the context of the scripture says that you search these scriptures in order to find eternal life. But it only points to me, but you refuse to come to me. How do we change that message to some folk that hardly read the scriptures? And I'm not asking you to raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass you. You've got to start by asking why you don't want to read the scriptures. I'll tell you it's probably because you don't like to be told what to do. Come on. 
I got enough people in my life telling me what to do. I don't need nobody else telling me what to do. I'm not reading my Bible. Jesus is going to tell me to do something I'm uncomfortable with. He's going to tell me to do something for somebody I don't even like. He's going to tell me to forgive them people, and they don't deserve it. So I'm just not going to read it. Say ouch. Can I tell you there's countries in this planet that can almost get killed for getting a piece of this? Like this is more valuable than their next piece of bread? And we Americans take this for granted? Spoiled? How many of us today are getting our Jesus from Instagram and Google and TikTok and everything else? You got a social media, Lord? Why? Because it's easier. It's only a 40-second clip, and I can take Jesus in doses. And if I don't like what I'm hearing, I can flick it off. It's quiet in this Pentecostal church. So let's talk about the scriptures for a minute. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. Say those words with me. Alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes, here it is, it exposes, it exposes, it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Maybe we don't like the scriptures because they're truthful to us. And we've grown accustomed to people tattooing us. It says that the word cuts me open. It exposes my innermost thoughts and desires. And we've believed the lie that that's not a good thing. The devil's convinced us that it's not a good thing. He convinced Eve to pick from the tree she wasn't supposed to pick from in the most perfect place on the planet. Do you not think he's going to try to convince you not to read the scriptures because the scriptures will cut you open and remove the darkness from your life and give you more light and more life? He don't want you to have more light. He don't want you to have more life. So he's going to convince you to not read them, to not open them, and to not believe them. Why? Because he only has one purpose for you, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He don't care about you. Your greatest weapon on the planet is the scriptures. The Bible tells us that this book, these scriptures, when it comes to our spiritual armor, is the sword. Now, you can be covered from head to toe in metal and go out to war. But if you ain't got a sword, 
you just taking licks. Just taking licks. I got in a fight in the football field one time. One of my best friends, coach, told me to make him look bad during practice. So I went all out and I made him look bad because at practice with your friends, you don't make your friends look bad. So coach came to me and said, make him look bad. I was like, oh, bro. So I burned him. Boom, took off on the play, burned him. He got so mad. He came at me and he was beating me up. But I kept my helmet on. And I'm laying on the ground and through my face mask, he's wearing my face mask out. Bam, 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 bam. And I'm thinking, you're an idiot. We're like that as Christians. We got a face mask on. We got a helmet on. We ain't got no sword. So the scriptures are a get to, not a have to. The Bible calls itself the sword of the spirit. Watch this. When David went to fight Goliath, many of you know this story. When David went to fight Goliath, he was getting ready to go out and fight against Goliath. And Saul came to him and said, hey, hey, hold up, bro, hold up. Like, you're not, you're not ready. Like, you don't look like we look. Come and take, put my armor on and go fight with my stuff. And so David tried it on. It didn't feel right. It didn't fit right. Till eventually he got frustrated when he said, ah, I can't fight with this. Why did David refuse to fight with Saul's armor? Because it wasn't his. What did he go to, to war with Goliath with? His own weapon. The one that was familiar in his hand. The one that he knew how to use. The one he was really good at. Listen to me. Your Bible should be so well fit to your hand that it's like one of those old soldier's swords. Like you can, you can lose your sword and your buddy give you his. It don't fit the same. It don't feel right. You need to be so familiar with scripture that it flows out of you. So then when the enemy walks into your life, you can be like Jesus in the wilderness and say, no, that's not what the scriptures say, bruh. So one of the greatest witnesses to Jesus is the scriptures. Lord, help us to understand the power of the scriptures. May they be like a, a sword fit well into our hands. So the first greater witnesses is the scriptures. The second greatest witness is the miracles. Jesus said, my miracles, my teachings and my miracles. Is it just me or is it hot in here? Jesus said, my miracles are a greater witness to me than John is. God, how is that? 
You know, it's funny. As some of us were, were, were grown up in churches. <laughs> you like my English? Some of, <laughs> some of y'all were grown up in churches where you were taught to witness was to God and read scripture to people. And that's powerful. But just like everything else, we've grown uninterested in that. So now we don't go out and tell anybody anything. Then we started, let's share your story. Tell people your story about how you met Jesus. And it's powerful, but we've grown disinterested in that. And Jesus is saying, my scriptures are a greater witness, and my miracles are a greater witness. Look at what he did earlier in chapter 5. Jesus goes to the, the pool, and he finds a guy who's, who, who's lame. He can't walk. He's paralyzed. Jesus walks up to the guy, asks a question, says, do you want to be made well? The guy starts to give him all of his excuses. Then Jesus says this in verse 8 and 9. He told the man, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. We talked last week about how that miracle fulfilled prophecy from all the way back in Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah 35. Where Isaiah said the lame will jump up and walk. They will leap and run like a deer. Jesus did that miracle to prove his deity, to prove who he was and who he still is today. So I've realized that Jesus does miracles for two main reasons. One is to prove himself to someone. Sometimes he'll do a miracle to prove himself to someone. Other times, the second main reason is he'll do a miracle to express and to help people understand the mercy and compassion of his father's heart. In other words, just because he loves you. So sometimes he's got an agenda to prove himself, but sometimes, and the majority of the times, he has a mission to show you mercy and compassion, which is the Father's heart for you, which is why you should never wonder if he wants you healed. The Jewish leaders had a problem with this because they were looking for a Messiah who would do certain works to correct the government. They were looking for a Messiah that would fix the government. They weren't interested in the simple miracles that Jesus did for the poor and the hurting and the less than people. And it's funny because the church has found itself there again today. We got more faith for Jesus to fix the president than we do for him to fix our neighbor. Instead of just having Christians, now we have Christian nationalists. In other words, they blend the, the United States and Jesus together. And their only hope is that Jesus will fix the United States. But no faith for your neighbor to be healed. I say, let's go make some disciples. Let's reach the lost. 
let's heal the sick, let's cast out demons, and let's get up out of here. How about we go to the new place? Can we, like, do the work and go home? Like, we've been on the job too long. Can we just get the job done? At some point, you get tired of lollygagging around and you go, can we just get it done and get on out of here? Jesus said in verse 36, the Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. That word works is the Greek word ergon, which means to work. To work, to toil, to act, to do deeds. It's called doing. It's called labor. That's the definition of that word. In other words, God gave him some work. God gave him some toil. God gave him some acts, some deeds, some doings, and some labor to do. And you can sum it up like this. Every work of faith is that works. And it's still true today. Jesus is giving us works to accomplish. But if you're not sitting down with him, listening to him, quieting yourself enough to hear from him, if you're not reading the scriptures, if you're not talking to Jesus, if you're not giving him the time of day, you're not getting the task. And maybe you like it that way. If you do like it that way, God sent you a 300-pound ball-headed pastor to get up in your grits this morning and to tell you that that ain't good enough. He gave his life for you to give it away to somebody else. There's people that are going to die and go to a real hell and burn for eternity because you refuse to do the work. Because you found your work more important than your ministry. Because you don't want to ruffle feathers for the kingdom. Or because the enemy's got you consumed with your own issues so much that you can't even get away from yourself to tell somebody else about Jesus. Because your whole life has been about you. When the scriptures say, if you'll take your issues to Jesus, he can heal your issues and send you on mission. Ah! Jesus was healing people before medicine existed. He was healing people before diseases existed. He was healing people. Jesus can heal people. For the love of God, Jesus can heal people today. He hasn't stopped. Your only responsibility is to believe that he can do it. You don't actually have to do it. What? Just take what I believe and apply it to somebody else in Jesus' name, and then he does the rest? Oh, my gosh. It's too complicated. You go to work tomorrow, and somebody's crying in the corner, and you go, what's wrong? I just found out my grandbaby's got cancer. You need to hug them. 
You need to show some compassion for them and some empathy. But don't forget to encourage them with truth. Baby, I'm going to trust Jesus to heal your grandbaby. How about we agree together right now for Jesus? Can I pray with you? And while you're asking if you can pray with them, just go ahead and lay your hands on them. Because they're going to say yes and no. It don't matter. Pray for them anyway. Because the last time I checked, nobody's running from a prayer. And take your little bit of faith and apply it to them in the name of Jesus. And when the grandbaby's healed, come on. And if the grandbaby's not healed, because <laughs> I've experienced that too. Had more than enough faith for that miracle to happen, but it didn't happen. You know what I had to do? I had to come back to the scriptures. You come back, Jesus, what's up with this? He's always got a purpose. He's always working. He's always doing something. We don't understand everything that he does. We praise him anyway. And you know what we do the next time somebody says they need their little grandbaby's got cancer or something like that? We pray again. And we keep on praying. Because it's my job to believe. It's his job to heal or not heal. It's on him. But miracles won't happen if you won't believe. So it's still true today. Jesus still gives us works to accomplish today. Amen? What does he give us to do? Because some of you will walk out of here going, well, I just don't know. Because some of you have learned to live under that lie. Well, I just don't know. I don't know. Maybe when it falls on me like an acorn, then I'll start doing something. And all you're really doing is just tiptoeing your way out of responsibility. Because last time I checked, you got a Bible. And you surely got a phone. And you're saying, you're living under the excuse, I don't know. I don't know what Jesus wants me to do. I don't know what he wants me to do. He said it already. I'll say it to you in Cajun. He done said it, Shy. He done said what you're supposed to do. Go with me to Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Because <laughs> you're going to go walk out of here today with some excuses. In Jesus' name. Matthew 10, starting in verse 5. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Don't go to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans. That doesn't apply to us today. But only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Go and announce the kingdom. Go announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Verse 8. Heal the sick. The sick. Raise the dead. Cure those with leprosy. Cast out demons. 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 Give as freely as you've received. Jesus gave them instructions to go and do these things. That has not changed. What are you supposed to do tomorrow? Go and announce that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons, give as freely as you've received. 
What are you supposed to do the day after that? Go and announce the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons. And on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and even on Sunday, what about the 4th of July? Jesus sent out the 12, and he gave them those, these specific instructions. Announce the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cure those with leprosy. And cast out demons. What a list. There's no reason to wonder anymore. Right? I feel like you're under a lot of pressure right now. I really do. Normally the pressure is coming towards me. I really feel like there's a lot of pressure on all of you today. And that's a good thing. Because eternity's at stake. What do these works do? The same thing that they did when Jesus accomplished them. They prove who Jesus is. It's called a greater witness. Jesus did it again, though. The next time he sent out 72. And he gave them pretty much the exact same instructions. You can read it for yourself. Go and announce the kingdom of heaven is there. Heal the sick. Cure those with leprosy. Raise the dead. Cast out demons. Well, what does announcing that the kingdom of heaven is near? That's what brings an awakening. Not only to the unbeliever, but to the other believers as well. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus is coming back any moment. Why do we do communion once a month? So that you'll remember that the blood still works and the body still works. What do we need to get back to? Announcing the kingdom of heaven is near. Why? So that the other believers will wake up and the unbelievers will get a revelation. It brings about an awakening. We, we believe for an awakening like God's going to drop it like a bomb from heaven. No, he's going to get inside of the believer and he's going to birth it out of the believer. Heal the sick. What does that do? Why do we need to do that? Because it brings relief to people. God is a compassionate God. He cares. He's a merciful God. We're his hands and feet to do the works of the ministry. If we don't do the works, the people don't receive the ministry. When they don't receive the ministry, they reach for everything else the enemy in the world has to offer them. And we wonder why they're confused. They don't know where to go. The church is too quiet. The church is inactive. We like our Sundays to some degree. We get quiet on Mondays. Raise the dead. What does that do? Well, if I have to explain it to you, 
raising the dead installs the fear of God. Somebody comes to life, everybody around gets the oh shoots. Oh shoot, God's real. <laughs> and it might be something else besides shoots because their mouth ain't got saved yet. Cure those with leprosy. What does that do? Well, it reminds the planet that Jesus is king over all sickness. Leprosy was the disease of the day. Cast out demons. Why he had to put that one in there? I don't, I don't know about that one, Pastor. I, you know, demons are fine on the cartoons, but you know, I don't know if I believe all that. I had a feeling you'd feel that way. What does casting out demons do? Have you ever wondered? Or are you just too scared? Have you ever seen what casting out a demon does to the person that was possessed or oppressed by the demon? I've seen literal life flow into people's faces since the peace of God filled the room when the demons cast out. I've heard chains hit the ground. I've heard demons screech on the way out. I ain't scared because I love the person more than I respect the demon. Last week I had a quiet time. I don't normally put a title on my quiet times, but I felt the need to put a a title to my quiet time, and the title of my quiet time with Jesus was Demon Slayer. Now, I grew up in a Baptist church. I got in trouble when I was over the youth students for teaching what the Scripture said about the Holy Spirit. I wasn't even talking about praying in tongues because I didn't even believe in it. I was just teaching what the Scripture said about the Holy Spirit. I got called into the office. What are you, what are you teaching? I went, You sure you're teaching them? Mm -hmm. I live with some conviction. I was raised in that type of environment. If we didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, we sure didn't talk about demons. I grew up not even believing in demons. The only demon I knew was the one that would get on the big rooster's shoulders and try to convince him to do bad. Was it the rooster? What was his name? Come on, somebody. Foghorn Leghorn. Y'all remember that? He get an angel on one side and a demon on the other. That's the only demons I knew. So I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't raised believing in demons. So when people would talk about demons, I was kind of like skeptical. I was like, why are you seeing demons? I don't see demons. Something wrong with you. Something must be messed up with you if you're dealing with demons. What's wrong with them? They fighting demons. 
We don't fight demons. Did you ever wonder why? So I used, to, I used to live with this phrase. Some of you may recognize it. Those people see demons under every rock. And I've seen fanatical people when it comes to demons. In fact, you can slip to the other side, and I call it demonology, where you take demons and you make them bigger than Jesus, and you, start, you live your whole life trying to pursue demons. Jesus never told us to pursue demons. He told us to deal with them. So he gives me this quiet time, and I've grown to understand the, the demonic things that we live with. And I learned the hard way how to cast out demons and seen many demons come and go. <laughs> Even had a few times where they didn't go. Had to deal with that. In my quiet time this past week, Jesus asked me a question because I guess I was still believing that it's crazy to think that there's a demon under every rock. He said, what if there is a demon under every rock? What are you going to do about it? Do you realize how many people are oppressed or possessed by, de by demons? Your kids can be oppressed or possessed by demons. You think they're having a bad day. They're under attack. What if there is a demon under every rock? What if there's more demons around than we know? What if we've been given the authority to cast them out? What if we've been given the authority to heal the sick? What if we've been given the authority to raise the dead? If I handed you a slip of paper stamped from heaven, notarized from heaven, would that help you believe? Because I'll ask Jesus for a notarized slip to get you to walk in the authority that you need to walk in if that's what will get you to walk in the authority that you need to walk in. But let me remind you, you've already been given permission to heal the sick, cast out the demons, raise the dead, come on, cure those with leprosy, and announce the kingdom of heaven is near. So the Lord told me in my quiet time, he said, you see a demon, kill a demon. Simple as that. See a demon, kill a demon. Okay. See a demon, kill a demon. He's teaching me how to ask questions because sometimes demons don't, don't show themselves. Sometimes they need to be provoked. So I'm learning how to provoke a demon so he'll show himself so I can cast him out. The disciples came back from that journey that he sent them out to do all these tasks. 
And the thing they came back with was this. This is why I'm spending so much time on demons. They came back, and their greatest expression of what they just experienced was that even the demons listened to us. They were so excited because the demons listened to them. And then what was Jesus' response? (laughs) Don't get excited because demons listen to you. Rather, get excited because your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. In other words, don't let demons take precedence in your life. When you see them, when you see them, slay them. It's like a cockroach. When you see it, smash it. And then evacuate it. You don't leave it there. I mean, like, if you don't like to touch it, kick it out. Just, just kind of all the way to the door. If you got a dog that likes to eat them, say, Fifi, come here. Eat this. It don't have to be freaky. It don't have to be weird. Your blood pressure does not have to come up. Your veins don't have to pop out of your neck. You don't have to do a praise dance around the person before the demon comes out. I've sat with people in my office and in other places in the most solemn, quiet, gentle, it's hard for me to be gentle today, but just gentle conversation, and the Holy Ghost will go, there it is. Okay. He goes, now deal with it. I say, what you want me to do? He'll say, ask this question. Okay. Then what? Ask this question. Then sometimes he'll say, now say this. And usually when I start doing what he's telling me to do, things start happening. Tears will start flowing. Breaking will start happening. And then I just ask the person, I feel like there's a demonic thing here. Can I pray for you to cast it off? And they've all said, yeah. And I go, Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, I cast this devil out. Satan, I remove remove you from this person. I expel you. Leave in the name of Jesus. Right now you have no authority here. Leave. And in an instant, peace comes rushing in like the air conditioner just turned on. And you'll see blood flow into their face again. The color of their skin will change. I've seen it time and time and time again. And then we get done, and we walk out the office, happy-go-lucky. Loving Jesus. I walked in bound, but I left free. All because of Jesus. Not because I flexed my muscles. Not because I screamed and hollered. Not because I slapped them on the forehead. You don't have to do all that. Some, most of the time, from my own experience, they come out pretty calm. There has been occasions where they kick and scream. When Jesus cast the demon out, the little boy that was having epileptic seizures, on the way out, the demon threw him into convulsions. I call it the sucker punch. I just recently learned this. He's always going to throw a sucker punch on the way out. 
So what are we afraid of? What's holding us back? I can give you a couple of things that I know that's holding you back. One of them being you don't know who you are. You're in an identity crisis. You don't realize what, what's happened to you when you gave your life to Jesus. You don't realize that I was bought back with blood. And I've, I'm adopted into his family. Like I'm on his team now. Some of you don't know who you are. Some of you don't understand the authority that you have. Both of those issues are cured right here. Right here. The first great witness. The first great witness helps you with the second great witness. You don't know the authority you have. And others of you, I say this kindly, but I say it truthfully, you're blind. You wouldn't believe it if Jesus was standing in front of you, telling you himself. You've been raised and indoctrinated to think something differently, and you're stubborn and you're hard-headed, and you don't want to believe the truth. Jesus can break that too. I struggled to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Struggled. I knew the scriptures. I was twisted in my head in the scriptures. But when I finally said, you know what? I'm tired of the confusion, Jesus. If it's real, give it to me. And boy, did he give it to me. So I don't go around looking for demons. I just go around listening, going through my daily life, announcing the kingdom of heaven, telling people about Jesus. Somebody says they're sick, lay my hands on them. Somebody dies, I leave them to be raised. That one's going to stretch my faith. But I just go doing the things that Jesus told them to do that he did not change for me to do. Never does it say quit doing these. We stopped on our own. Fear overcame us. The enemy silenced us. More worship team. I feel we're going to need to sing a song very specifically in a minute. We're going to sing that last song that we sang during the worship service in a minute. But I want you to look at me real quick. For some of you in this room, you're disagreeing with me right now. And I would say that's okay. You can, you can disagree with me all you want to.
but you can't disagree with scripture. If Jesus told them to go and cast out demons, there must be demons out there. If he told them to go heal the sick, there must be sick people out there. If he told them to raise the dead, then these people are going to die. They need to be raised. Right? Because he doesn't say something for no reason. So you can disagree with me, but you can't disagree with scripture. And for others of you, Watch what the enemy does. He always throws a sucker punch. What you heard was, I'm no good. I'm not good enough. I don't know who I am. I guess that's who I'll always be. I guess I'm just who my parents were. You heard something else. And I would speak to that right now and say that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because the Bible says that you've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And that when you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior and you publicly professed Him as your Lord, you got authority, you got life, you got your name written in the book, you belong to heaven now, so don't let the enemy sucker punch you in a moment like this. Take it, repent for what you've not done, and ask Jesus to invade your heart and give you the courage to do what you don't want to do. And then when you walk out of this place, the first time somebody says they're sick, put your hands on them and pray. If you happen to recognize a demon, put your hands on them and cast them out. In the sweetest little voice you got. people 
bipolar? What if it's a demon? Some of us don't know who we are. We're still living under the name our parents gave us or didn't give us. Some of us in this room, Lord, are still living under generational curses. Living under that banner. Break it today, Lord. Give us a new name, a new identity. Help us to receive the authority that you've given us, Lord. Not the authority to scare people, but the authority to walk on this planet like we have a purpose and a mission, Lord. Give us the boldness and the courage to go into the workplace and take authority over that place. And instead of complaining about it, we'll start prophesying to it. Instead of being negative about it, we'll start breathing life into it. Lord, help us to be people that are madly in love with your scriptures. That we hide them in our heart. That we might not sin against you. But that we would live victoriously. Just like you did, Jesus, when you were in the wilderness with the enemy. I pray that your scriptures become like a literal sword to us. That it gets comfortable in our hand and we get better and better at using it. I pray your scriptures would bring us confidence and courage and that we would find a new comfort in knowing scripture and obeying scripture instead of running to everything else. Get us out of the comfort of hiding, Lord, and bring us into the comfort of fighting. Teach us how to find comfort in fighting because there's people all around us that you want to heal and you want to touch and you want to set free, Lord. Help us to be your vessel. Help us to be your hands and your feet, Lord. I stand against every bit of fear of walking in miracles operating in miracles I cast off every lie of the enemy right now in the name of Jesus you must leave now in Jesus name you have no authority here these people have been bought with a price so fear leave 
timidity leave? Spiritual laziness leave right now in the name of Jesus. every twisted thought right now that would be trying to justify why you don't have to do, why you shouldn't do, why somebody else will do it. I stand against every excuse you're making in the name of Jesus. I call down the blessings of obedience over this church. Distraction, leave in the name of Jesus. Every supplement, leave in the name of Jesus. Everything that we've learned to supplement instead of Jesus, we've learned to, to grab a hold of supplements, leave in the name of Jesus. Lord, I see a church that's bold and courageous. Lord, I see a church that knows how to use the sword almost like a surgical instrument. Lord, I see a church that's not afraid to pray, not afraid to stand, not afraid to push against the enemy, not afraid to walk into the darkness and establish light. I see a church that's not afraid to, to advance the kingdom of God by force if necessary. that's holy and pure walking in power and authority yet gentle as a dove and full of love and mercy I see a bride that looks a lot like you Jesus may that be of this church may you start with these people with all of us today actions ain't working no more. Lord, bring us back to what you said in Matthew. You sent the disciples out. That works. That proves. Oh, how it proves. I love you, Jesus. I thank you for this moment. All that you're doing today. Holy Ghost, move in each one of us.